The Start On Demand. On demand. We had a fascinating conversation today with Alan Cross. He is a musicologist. He is the host of the ongoing history of new music. He is a self-proclaimed professional music geek. He's in Winnipeg to speak at TEDx at Royal Manitoba Theatre Centre on how Spotify is killing music. So we discussed that with him today, and we can't wait for you to hear that. We also can't wait for you to hear what McNabb's dad made for dinner whenever it was his turn to cook. And that conversation inspired an avalanche of text messages from you about the funny things that your dad would make, or maybe the funny things that you now make for your kids. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, and this is the Wednesday, June 26th podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, McNabb, Jeff Braun is here, Cam Poitras is here, producer Kyle is here. McNabb, we're having a conversation just after the news at 9 o'clock about something that's going to help out dads. Yeah, there's this college that's put together a workshop of sorts for dads, and I think some moms are going too, because I'll admit I'm not good at doing hair, but it's about helping dads do their kids' hair. If they have little girls, how do you put ponytails or do braids and all the rest? And it got me thinking about like how far dads have come in the sense of, you see videos all the time of dads doing ballerina or ballet, sorry, with their kids just, just to be supportive. Or there was the synchro dads a couple of weeks ago in Winnipeg, all these dads going out doing like synchronized swimming to be like, look, like, you know, it's times have changed. We can do the things that's not just about girls and boys. There's no line. Right. And so I thought that was super cool. But it also got me thinking about all the things my dad did you know, decades ago when we were growing up that uh, like probably wouldn't fly now, like meals he cooked or he let us stay up late. Or, Tell us about the meal that he cooked. Or, or Questionable he, practices. Question, or he said, you know, we wanted to learn how to drive the tractor at age nine and he chucked the manual at us and said, go for it. And you're like, I'm nine. <laughs> okay. And we're all out in the yard. Like, I don't, I, did that? And then we realized the manual was 900 pages and then we kind of gave that up. But the meal he cooked for us, I don't know if anyone else has anything gross that their dad would make, was tuna fish on toast. But not tuna fish like you would have as a sandwich. He would put tuna fish in the pan and fry it and then pour mushroom soup over top of it and then sometimes throw in peas to make it, quote, healthy with vegetables. He froze in peas and then he'd throw it over the bread. And weirdly... Because there's so much sodium in both a can of tuna fish and mushroom soup, it was amazing. But a few years ago, I was living with a roommate, and she comes home, and she's like, ah, your dad is, like, making something so weird in the kitchen. <laughs> and he's asked me if I want to have supper with him, and I walk in, and sure enough, it's tuna fish on toast. And that's the only thing he knew how to make. We'd get a fried egg or tuna fish if my mom wasn't home. So I just started thinking, like, does anyone else have funny dad stories? that things? My just- dad had a go-to meal, too, when mom wasn't around, but uh-huh. it was, like, it was like steak. And the potatoes. It was good. It was good. Yeah, it was awesome. I don't know why we didn't do that. Like, it's not hard to barbecue. I don't yeah. know why he wouldn't. You could even, like, he even if he made breakfast, like, he'd be like, okay, let's do eggs. He wouldn't make bacon. It would just be, like, so basic. I can open a can. <laughs> I can cook some toast. Done. That was it. And just eggs. Eggs and toast. Just eggs and toast. Did he ever burn the eggs? Oh, sure. Yeah? He liked his eggs hard. 
he still likes his eggs hard. Oh. I shouldn't uh, speak of him in the past tense. Yeah. Sorry, Dad. <laughs> He's very alive and well. Toast, toast, uh, burnt and stuff like that too, or no? No, it was okay. Okay. Yeah. I usually, find there's a lot of people that like burnt toast for whatever reason. You know, my, my dad is one of those. Yeah, yeah. Whenever, whenever we were making, if we were having like bacon and eggs for supper, for example, breakfast for supper, uh, inevitably some of the toast would be burnt, and he would just say, "Give it here," and like, but Dad, it's black. It's like a, it's like a <laughs> hockey puck. No, that's that's okay. The, the more burnt, the better. The crispier, the better. So I should just get him a loaf of like dark pumpernickel and then throw that in the oven yes. on 500 degrees for an hour and <laughs> give him a bowl of crumbs of incinerated crumbs. Uh, what about you, Poitras? Um, you know, I don't, I don't really have any stories. I was, I was thinking back and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking like, but you know, my dad was always involved, like, uh, you know, him and my mom, like I have a twin brother, right? So they would do like uh, diaper change races. My mom would always win, but you know, so, uh, yeah, my dad was always involved. Like, uh, he'd, he'd cook dinner, he'd, he'd clean up and stuff like that. He always did the dishes. So yeah, I mean, my dad was, I don't know, like normal he or something. well too. Yeah. Well, my dad's a great cook. Hmm. Always cook, cook the best are you a good cook now? Oh, I, I like to think I'm a good cook. I mean, some people would maybe question that, but uh, I, I think I'm a good cook. Well, Who my qualifies dad's a- as cooking, though? Uh, I don't know. Making, like, rice, uh, ingredients, putting it together, sautéing, boiling, Ooh, uh, broiling, okay. cooking stuff, baking stuff. Good. Yeah, I can do all that. Well, my dad's come a long way. Like, a couple of years ago, I remember coming home, and he— uh, was standing in the kitchen with my husband. They had a glass of scotch and they were talking and he was making a full rack of lamb with vegetables. <laughs> and I was like, who are you? Like, where did you come from? So I like the evolution of it all. But it's like, it's a very different era for me. I want to go to Kyle because we work with Kyle's dad. <laughs> yeah, you all, you all have dad stories for my dad. Um, unlike most uh, most other people. Uh, yeah, my dad. I think my dad's main meal was a uh, meatloaf he made a lot or a uh, craft dinner. He used to make a lot of... Uh, a lot of did, he, did he throw hot dogs in there? No, you know what? I, a, a, a quick aside: the weirdest thing I've ever seen someone put on craft dinner. My uncle used to put sugar on craft uh, dinner. Which Interesting. I think, which I think was just like something. That Sorry, everyone, what? Yeah, sugar on ca- sugar on mac dinner. and cheese. Oh, but like, I think that's something that everyone might do just as it wanted to do as a kid. But he just went and did it, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, Isn't that I what the ketchup's for? Isn't that the sugar? I think so. Is that that's the sweetness? Sort of the, the, the the conduit for the sugar, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> My dad. Uh, I remember he he loves peanut butter, and he once. Even tried it on a hot dog, so I've I heard thought of that before, I yeah. thought I'll try this too. I like peanut butter and a lot of stuff, I but I do not like it on hot dogs. Mm. Just did not work for me. Nah. McNab- the look I'm of feeling disgust ill just thinking about all these right combos. No, wait, bo- bo- I want my tuna fish boiled, on toast, like stat. barbecued hot dogs. <laughs> oh, uh, bo- I, uh, barbecued. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I would prefer, prefer a barbecue. Yeah, but boiled was was the way. I know my dad's listening this morning, so I got to be careful what I say. Oh, me my, too. I'm not saying anything. My, 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 dad, my dad was more famous for his eating than his cooking. My dad, when we'd have uh, Thanksgiving or Christmas dinner, my dad's platefuls were extraordinarily engineered. Nobody could put more food on one plate than my dad, and it was always a topic of discussion. But the the thing that, that, you know, the unusual thing, I guess, that my dad did that always warmed my heart was the fact that he coached hockey when we were younger, and he didn't know how to skate. And he would go out in his boots, and he would always be involved that way. And there was nothing that would get in his way from being involved. And so uh, that's one of the things that uh, when we were talking about this that jumped out at me. So I can't say anything mean about my dad this morning. Let us know the weird things your Tuna dad fish did. fish is not meat. I'm telling you guys, I'm going to make it for you. You're going to be shocked <laughs> at how good it was.
Did is. you say tuna fish is not meat? Mean. Oh, mean. Okay. I'm not being mean about this. I'm saying it was weird and delightful. No, it sounds good. <laughs> but let us. We just got a text here saying uh, my dad did craft dinner and strawberry jam. We're getting a whole bunch of text messages <laughs> at 204-780-6868, inspired by the conversation Loren began in our previous segment about what her dad used to make was... Uh, I think still makes. Bob McNabb somewhere is just beaming that the tuna fish on toast has spawned so many disgusting other <laughs> options for for me to cook tonight. Well, Scott says, uh, good morning, Brad, Greg, and Loren. To this day, I do it for my kids, as my dad did for us. Craft dinner with cream of mushroom soup with fresh grated cheddar cheese on top. And way back in the day, you guys may or may not remember, but you actually got two packets of cheese in a KD mm-hmm. box, which was great to make it really cheesy. You did? So I'm yeah. curious. I, I want to try this because I love mushrooms. I love craft I'm dinner. telling you, mushroom soup can go on anything. Uh, well, I'm going to try But So in this context, would you like mix the soup? Like, Would you just no, empty the can? Empty the can in. So no, no water. water or milk or you anything? You could, but I wouldn't. I would put the can. You can empty that can on broccoli. You can empty it on chicken. You can empty it on apparently craft dinner tuna so you do the noodles the powdered cheese and then no milk no water no margarine add the mushroom i'm mushroom guessing that's soup. what he would do but oh. scott can let us know oh okay yeah so that's, so that's the elixir yeah that's the it's like a magic sauce it's potion. just it's just it's used like a marinade it's like the milk and yeah. the margarine oh, that, is, that sounds really good i bet you that gets your your salt intake real up for the day <laughs> sodium way up uh, speaking of sodium are the hot dogs high in sodium i probably i i assume so one of our listeners first time texter by the way sent this in about hot dogs we can't read the whole thing because there's some uh extremely um some profanity uh, some salty language salty, salty language, language. Perfect. perfect um yeah. sure hot dogs aren't the strangest meal but how about hot dogs Every meal, every single day of the week. Sunday, hot dogs in a bun. Monday, wieners and beans. Tuesday, craft dinner with hot dogs. Wednesday, hamburger helper with hot dogs. Thursday, hmm, what to eat? Let's have hot dogs. Friday, dad's (laughs) going to be home late. Don't worry, kids. There's hot dogs in the fridge. Just Eat them cold and repeat. <laughs> oh my god, that is so many hot dogs. I love hot dogs, but yeah, god. I can't do especially if that's seven days of boiled hot dogs. No, thank you. So, we'll continue this conversation throughout the show here on 680 CJOB because we are getting some amazing recipe suggestions. Sorry, can I please read this yes, one? Yes, absolutely. I won't use his name just in case, but KD mushroom soup and ground beef almost as good as sex. <laughs> See, mush- <laughs> so mush- many questions. Mushroom soup. <laughs> telling you. It's not just an elixir. Maybe it's like a love potion. Oh, my God. <laughs> so we'll continue to harvest these texts and share them throughout the morning here on CJOB. But we want to start this hour officially with speed. Yes, and yesterday the official discussion for a change in how fast you can drive on res- residential speed uh, streets in Winnipeg. Come on, Mac. Um, that conversation... Girl got her in a way yesterday, and Matt Allard chairs the committee in charge of the push from those advocating for slower speed limits. Right now, we're having a debate at City Council. For now, it's for now we've moved a status quo uh, position to 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 meet our statutory obligation. But uh, I think we're going to have this conversation again come the fall when the report's out on how do we consider a new uh, new request for changes in speed. Could we see changes as soon as late this year, or are we talking two three years down the road? Well, I mean, if if council had decided today to make residential speeds 30, it could have happened. So 
I mean, I think there, I think there's some interest on council. Uh, Councillor uh, Santos today moved to bring residential speeds to 40. Um, the other, the other uh, members of the committee thought we should have uh, a more, um, you know, a more structured approach uh, in in the public service recommendation that said status, status quo for now. We're going to establish a process in the fall. But the delegations we heard today, there was certainly uh, the people we heard from today were saying uh, 30K in residential speeds is the way to go is what people heard or is what people were saying today. Russ Heslop of HRH and Associates Collision Consulting is a former member of the Winnipeg Police Service. And he also spoke with Richard and Julie on the news yesterday afternoon. To have the speeds reduced or not, that's where you're going to get the pushback. You're going to be taking something away from something. There's going to be the emotional argument about while well, I've driven for you know eight eight years and never had a crash, and and it's the people who drive slower the ones who are causing the problems. But the facts are, if you reduce the speed, everything slows down, everything improves. Some may say it's a cash grab. Is is that a valid argument? Well, unfortunately, the way that uh, Winnipeg does things, oftentimes that's the motivation behind it. It. Uh, lost up to make it look really nice and that, but in, uh, it, it's oftentimes rolled out as a cash grab, which is really, really unfortunate um, because reduction of speed does save lives. Now, yesterday afternoon, as you might expect, the listener reaction was contentious, creative, and at times very colorful. How? Uh, good afternoon, Hal. This is a complete cash grab. This was something I brought up earlier. Are we going to you know, start saying this is a cash grab? Why don't they enforce people to use sidewalks and crosswalks? These councillors never look at the problem. These councillors are morons. How long before we're doing 30 on the Trans-Canada Highway? Reducing speeds, Hal, is being reactive. The city needs to be proactive and add more education for the kiddos. Uh, get a group together to put presentations into our schools so that the kids can learn from a young age how to be careful on a busy street. Uh, Taz, Big Daddy Taz says, Hal, 30 kilometers an hour will cause more people to be looking down at the speedometer instead of out the windshield. Thoughts? Well, yeah, maybe. I I, I know when I go through a school zone, I'm always looking down at my uh, speedometer, making sure I'm I'm going, you know, the proper speed. So, yeah, maybe, Taz, I'm not sure. Uh, Dean says, listening to all this, Hal, I'm so happy I live in the country. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, Travis says, Hal, why are they so concerned with lowering speeds on residential streets when the streets are crumbling? Maybe these pencil pushers at City Hall should address the real problems that we Winnipeggers have. Most streets only allow you to travel 30 kilometers an hour anyhow because they're in a shambles. That's one from uh, one from Travis. So Hal Anderson afternoons from 1 till 4 always gets the listener reaction going. Nobody can read a text message quite like Hal. Yeah, it's, uh, we, I actually had somebody email me yesterday saying that the, the problem isn't the residential streets, it's the main routes, make the main routes more effective. And then people won't need to use the residential streets as much. So I thought that was interesting, and that kind of tied in with that whole "be let's be proactive instead of reactive." So keep- I think that's fair. Except for the problem, I think in Winnipeg with some of the planning, 
<coughs> is that I, you can't fix some of the problems that exist now. And if you do, that's going to be millions of dollars versus billions of dollars. B- sorry, that's probably more accurate instead of just a few signs, right? Like, I think you're right, Brett. Like, it is, we're using these side streets because some of our main routes aren't really thoroughfares. But to, to, to make them thoroughfares, even looking at Keniston, how many years have we been talking about widening and making that better so that it's more of a direct route that with higher speeds? Well, yeah, like you that means at, that never is going to happen. You look at one thoroughfare that comes to mind is Osborne. Right. Uh, that's always a bottleneck. But what sure. are you going to do? I mean, there, you, there's no room to make it wider than two lanes no. uh, through the village. So that's going to be a problem until the end of time. Yeah, part of this is making neighborhoods more livable. Uh, I, someone else said, you know, streets are for cars. Well, not in all neighborhoods. In some neighborhoods, pedestrians have have to share the street with cars because there are no sidewalks mm-hmm. in new, newer neighborhoods. In my neighborhood, we have some sidewalks, but we also have a lot of places where there are no sidewalks. And let's face it, people like to play in their yards. Kids like to play in their yards adjacent to the street. Some kids like to play on the street. And I I know you grew up in the country. I don't know about you, Brett, but we played and we got a text message here from Gord who grew up just not far from where I did. He says, I grew up in the West End. We would be out all evening playing hockey or football on the street. And I found all those that drove by were amazing. I don't think we ever encountered someone who didn't slow down for us. My kids encountering the exact opposite. So uh, just remember, not all streets are just for cars. This is going to be a huge discussion. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you very much for joining us this morning on 680 CJOB. In our previous half hour, well, in the last 45 minutes or so, we've been talking about funny things that our dads do, and McNabb had this recipe from her dad with tuna fish and mushroom soup on toast, and then we had a listener text us about, how about hot dogs every day of the week? (laughs) And lo and behold, it was like the president and CEO of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers was listening, and he brought us four foot-long hot dogs to try. Wade Miller, what what have you brought us here? Well, this the is specialty all dogs this year are new in the Red Zone Grill and at the 200 level in the home growings. And there's a nacho dog, uh, which is all your nacho toppings on a foot-long, or a Ukrainian dog, which has sauerkraut, onions, bacon, and, and mini pierogies on it. Um, and then the traditional Chicago dog, which is just fantastic, too. So... Um, you know, so just a little more fun in the stadium with a couple different uh, offerings at the concessions. We still have our value menu, which is three dollars for, uh, which includes tax for a bunch of items, and and looking forward to a great year and uh, making sure that great fan fan experience. I'd love to know what goes on in the back rooms, like in, uh, in the off season. Is it just someone sitting there being, like, what else can we put on a hot dog? You know, like where can we take <laughs> yeah, oh, this? Yeah, right? Yeah. No, there's uh, someone there's, just walks in one morning. And you're like, you know great, maybe, do it. Maybe we'll have to have you down next year when we have this entire. The chef, our, our executive chef, is fantastic and. We have one day where you need to sleep after you've tested everything. <laughs> You'll have a sample of everything, but it took for a long time. So, yeah, Well, yeah. that's one of the f- favorite things of mine to do at the different ballparks when you know, I take my kids to baseball games in the States. And uh, the winner that we had in uh, St. Paul Saints game last year was a footlong hot dog with macaroni and cheese on right. it, which is really good. But the fried cheese curds... 
Yes, yes. This is kind of a yeah. Wisconsin, Minnesota thing. Yeah, you, you, you need to bring be, those to the stadium, well, Wade. Okay, we'll, we'll get you to start lobbying for that. <laughs> I'm so. working on that right now. Get the chef's number. Because they're delicious. Like, you go out of your way to find these things. They're absolutely outstanding. The cheese curds that you put on poutine, you deep fry them instead of putting them on the poutine. But it's about the package, right, Wade? You can like also the put idea on the poutine, going to the, I know he's just going to keep going <laughs> yeah, on for eight yeah, minutes yeah. about the poutine. <laughs> but it's about, like, you know, go, you go to a game and everyone loves once a winning team and you win all that but when you're there you want the smells and the sounds and all the different things that are supposed to come with that outdoor event yeah for sure and we, and we start that off at uh, 530 uh, you know for a kickoff at 730 in the pregame tailgate area you can bring the family down there's a big family section there um, you know you, you see Joe B and Bob Irving does his uh, you know uh, pregame show from that area and then we have a big blue and gold stage with a band playing on there and and this game for the home opener we have uh, the $3 hot dogs, which we always have, and then the $5 beers until kickoff in the pregame tailgate area and in the stadium. So three fifty-five ml beer for $5, and a good way to start the season. You know the way to a Winnipegger's heart? Good deal. Food, yeah. beer, and some winning football. This is a great opportunity for the guys on the field to really make a statement here, Wade. I, I know we weren't necessarily planning to talk about the game itself, but 2-0 Edmonton, Against 1-0 Winnipeg, the Bombers need to keep pace here. No, it's going to be a great matchup, and, uh, you know, the West is always going to be tough, and and, the, and we played extremely well in BC, and now it's time to, uh, you know, come home and in front of the CFL's Lattice fans, and uh, it's going to be a great night playing Edmonton. And, you know, you talk to talk to guys that have come from other teams, or Willie Jefferson in particular, and he, he just says, I can't wait to play in front of this crowd and not have them yelling at me. Uh, you know, so so that's uh, you know, our fans have a reputation in, in in this country and with these players in the CFL. Closing in on 100 penalties forced on the other team, either legal yeah. procedure or time count violations. I think it's 98 or 97 is the number. 99 right now. Oh, is it 99? Yeah. Well, there but we go. I missed one. Track. I missed yeah. one. <laughs> and so this is for sure going to go over 100 tomorrow and just just that idea of establishing home field because, Wade, you played on Blue Bomber teams that would go three seasons and lose a combined two or three games at home at Old Winnipeg Stadium. Right, and, and, and we, we have that advantage now at IG Field, and our fans are a huge part of that, and you hear that noise. And you, when you have uh, coaches, legendary coaches like Wally Buono actually referencing that, which he did a couple of years ago about how loud it is, I, that's a huge advantage. Um, this year, we're actually going to take it up a notch. And it's going to, there'll be two or three times a, a game where you actually are going to see everything turn. Um, and it's going to be called the holler louder moment, uh, where now let's take it up even further. So, so that's what, uh, you know, we're going to build a, a little more of a tradition of when the, when the defense needs it. You know, on offense, we stay a little quiet, but on defense, uh, let's let's bring it up even a little louder for for their offense. Some of my favorite moments at, at any game is when the defense is on the field and the crowd knows they have a job to do, right? right. Like that's where you play a role as a fan and you yeah. need to get into it. Yeah. So as much as you have the chef behind the scenes coming up with ideas for the season, it must be the same for the crew that's responsible for keeping that energy up. Absolutely. And that's this holler louder moment. And uh, actually that came from the head coach. He actually was, you know, you know, we could use once or twice a game where it's even louder. I said, okay, we'll we'll get we we'll get do. people to figure that out, and uh, and we just got a great team, and and that's what they did, and so we'll have this holler louder moment uh, moments, um, 
And, you know, we got a sponsor also, too, to, you know, help us with that. So that was great, too. So, <laughs> that uh, hurts. Yeah. And so, uh, so it just ties in nicely, and we'll just make it this, you know, crazy, you know, 90 seconds of, of you know, sound that's so loud that the neighbors in the area get upset. I'm looking forward to sampling that tomorrow night. Also looking forward to halftime as uh, the Reclaws yes. are going to be there, sort of a take two after last year's uh, crazy situation with the weather. Yeah, we're, uh, you know, we, we had to have the Reclaws back. They're so good. And, uh, you know, they spent all afternoon doing a dress rehearsal for their three songs and didn't get to play them. Uh, so we're looking forward to having them back. And, and they're a great uh Great band, great friends of the CFL, and they'll also do the national anthem, and uh, they're just a great act that that we're lucky to have back for a halftime show. They've what? really become entwined into the fabric of the CFL. Their, yes. their, their music is really a big part of the television production. Absolutely. What was the uh, the game delay last year? Was Did it go till midnight? What? Well, there were two separate delays two, last right? year, right? It was, it was uh, close to a six-hour game. So it was, uh, and there was people there till the end, yeah. and it was just incredible. Yeah, it was great. Did it change anything in terms of policy for the league or anything like that? Because I don't know if we had in, in Winnipeg encountered the two like that before. Yeah, well, yeah, we've seemed to have some good weather here. <laughs> You're uh, like, I so, don't want to talk. I don't want that to happen again. Yeah, this no, year, right? yeah we stopped talking about that. Uh, <laughs> yes, as a league and with our player association, we did address that just because that one got to the point where it was getting close to. Um, you know what's the best thing for mm-hmm. for the players and and their safety and also for our fans too. Might and, that and have been staff. might that have been concluding the game the next day? Yeah, the, we've changed that now as a league where where you won't you won't see a game uh, played the next day. That's just not feasible. Like that was a rule from the '60s or '70s. You know, our, our athletes are you know a different level of athlete now where you just can't fire that up the next day. So, nor do I think you want to come back twice to the stadium. You need a break. You go to a Bomber game, you go to a Valor game, you can't show up the next day and do it again as a fan. It's too too hard on. Some well, you have people. to you have to gear up. I think a lot exactly. of the fans like you make a whole, especially with football, you make a whole week long right. plan out of it, right? Because that's your big night out. Yeah, especially exactly. if I'm going to have one of these hot dogs. I don't know. I mean, I could do two. I could do three. I could do one the next three day. Three of these? Well, like in the next day? Three oh. in two days? Okay. So That's how great. many in a day, and we'll bring them down for you next week. Like, like how many could I do in a day? Yeah, I mean, let us know, and if you want, we'll bring them for you. <laughs> oh boy, I'm gonna have to think about this before right. I put Just myself out there. Just give a big there. number right now. Nineteen. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Please no, not nineteen hot dogs. Yeah. They're very good though. They're very good. Yeah, uh, stay tuned. Uh, we're gonna have uh, some another food item uh, launched in August this year too. So. Oh, my God. Can't wait for that. Wade Miller, president and CEO of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, joining us live in studio. And once again, if you want to see the hot dogs, I just put a quick video on our 680 CJOB Instagram, the Ukrainian dog, Chicago dog, and the Nacho dog. And they will be available tomorrow night at the home opener versus Edmonton. Greg, pregame show. 5.30, 7.30 kickoff after a little bit of hullabaloo and celebration and uh, honoring of Canada. And then uh, we'll get things going. Can't wait. Wade Miller, thanks for the visit. We appreciate this. Thank you, guys. I thought you were going to make it. Loren promised to eat what number of hot dogs next week in a single day? 19. Yeah. Which was that would have been a a better question. Let's be clear. It's a lie. 
So it wouldn't have been, my point was it would have been a terrible <laughs> question because I was lying. It would be a terrible thing to do, to for attempt. me, for you? Hyperbolic. For mankind, humankind? Well, were you lying or was it just like, was that what you, was that your gut? Like, I want 19 hot dogs. No, oh, wait, I can't no, I don't even, I honestly don't even know if I've ever had three normal size hot dogs in one sitting. Never mind 19 Never, foot longs. Or th- and I think I started off with three and then you guys were like, give a number. And then I just boldly went where no Loren has gone before. <laughs> I I'm in middle, I guess I should ask producer Kyle. Do you remember what the third? He knows what the third one was. Well, so he was did, paying attention. So did our texter here. Sorry, this is a call-in contest. Uh, you know, we sometimes pledge to do uh, text contests, and we, we got to do that one of these days. Yeah, yeah, we'll do some more of those. Uh, to, but in the meantime, call us at 204-780-6868 to for your chance to win Winnipeg Blue Bomber tickets. And now we return to the conversation on speed. Yeah, Winnipeg currently looking at whether or not it should lower speed limits on some residential streets. And we are far from the first Canadian city to consider this safety measure. Vancouver, Edmonton, Ottawa and London, Ontario on the list of communities that have been looking at this or have already implemented lower speed limits in residential neighborhoods. Stephen Turner is a city councillor in London, Ontario, and he joins us now on 680 CJB. Good morning, councillor. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. Well, we appreciate you taking some time for us here in Western Canada. Uh, tell us uh, how calm, cool, and collected the conversation's been in London over this proposal. <laughs> you know what? It's uh, it's been a fascinating discussion. A little while ago, uh, as this was coming forward to one of our committees, I, I put it out on Twitter saying, uh, uh, "What do you think, London?" And uh, the response was overwhelming. Uh, it's probably the number one complaint I get as a counselor is about uh, speeds in residential areas. Uh, people looking for traffic calming or stop signs or something to uh, to slow everybody down. Uh, so, uh, so when we started discussing this, this was uh, was pretty much universally accepted uh, as something that we need to do. So, uh, so council considered that uh, to put it forward to some uh, some community consultation and figure out if this is the directions where we're going to go. Well, as Greg was mentioning, it's something that Winnipeg is now considering. We've talked about Vancouver has a pilot project going in in September. There's other Canadian cities that keep going back to the conversation about lowering speed limits, including Ottawa, which I think already has some side streets that are down to 40 or 30 kilometers. But what, one thing that keeps coming back to us, Councillor, is, okay, we get that other cities are doing it, that they might be setting the stage, but what is the data? What are the stats that say, yeah, if we lower it to X speed, we're either going to eliminate or completely reduce collisions. Yeah, so the uh, the collision rates within uh, within residential neighborhoods are a little harder to find because uh, it's it's not as uh, as common. And the uh, the speed curves that you take a look at talk about the risk of fatal injuries associated with speed. So at, at fifty kilometers an hour, which is where most residential speeds uh, are set, the risk of a fatal injury is percent. Uh, at 40 kilometers, it's 27%, so it really dropped. And if you go further to 30 kilometers, the risk of fatal uh, injury is 10%. So, I mean, if uh, if we're looking at uh, numbers themselves, that's that's one thing. Uh, we know that uh, we'd be able to reduce some since we can't really predict what that might be. But we do know that the way we interact with streets is based on our perception of the speed that happens on that street and our the perception of our safety. So whether we bike on those roads or we let our kids bike on those roads, uh, whether we let our, our pets in the front lawn. Uh, in fact, actually, probably one of the, the parts that's not discussed about this is how many pets are killed 
especially on residential streets. Uh, so this could have a, a fairly significant impact in reducing uh, those injuries and deaths as well. Now, I know three years ago, London City Council lowered speed limits in school zones to 40 kilometres an hour. In jurisdictions like Winnipeg, for example, the speed limit in school zones is 30. How did you settle on 40 for school zones? Well, I think uh, staff's, one of staff's recommendations was that there, there shouldn't be a large differential in speeds between, uh, between the main, uh, I guess, thoroughfares and yes, so uh, dropping from 50 to 40 uh, was enough to be conspicuous, but not enough to, uh, to really have people just ignore it and blast through. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure I completely agree with that uh, philosophy. I think uh, having uh, a market differential really puts it in people's consciousness to say, I really need to slow down here. But one of the, the big parts to the debate uh, is, yeah, sure, you can lower them, but it really means nothing if you don't have enforcement to back it up. And one of the things Ontario did recently was change the Highway Traffic Act to allow for photo enforcement of those speeds within the community safety zones. So I think that's a really important part of the conversation as well. And that's part of the concern that we hear in Winnipeg, because we've had the 30 kilometer an hour zones around schools for several years now. We have the photo enforcement uh, in certain areas. Uh, there are the radar vans, the photo radar vans are basically there every single day. And that opens up a whole topic of conversation surrounding whether or not this is a cash grab and genuinely about safety. But it's not just about survivability of crash and fatalities. Uh, This is about making neighborhoods more livable, in my opinion. Does that come up in London, Stephen? Yeah, exactly, and that's that's kind of what I was talking about before in terms of just our perception of uh, of livability and uh, and how much traffic is going through cut through traffic, for example, too. If there's a large speed differential between an arterial road and a residential road, uh, then the 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 incurrence of I guess uh, of cut through traffic would would be reduced uh, because it it doesn't get any faster to go through a residential neighborhood. You might as well just stay on the arterials. You mentioned you had an overwhelming response when you first posted this on Twitter several months ago. You're now in the process of public consultations in the city of London, Ontario. I have to say, on our end, I think whenever we bring this up, overwhelmingly the response from many of our listeners is reducing the speeds to them to anything below 40, but definitely even sometimes under 50 is ridiculous. So say your public consultations come back and the feedback, the majority of feedback from your residents is, we don't want this. How, how much will that be weighted versus what the, what the stats show with, when it comes to safety? Well, I think that that'll weigh on each councillor independently. Uh, I I think, as I said, probably the number one complaint that we get is with respect to speeds. So uh, the feedback is really important to hear what people have to say. Uh, I think we've had, uh, well, I've, this is my second term on council now, so I've had five years of, of continuous feedback on uh, on road safety and road speeds. Uh, so I, I have a, a pretty good impression of where I'm heading on it, but uh, I, I do want to hear uh, some of the concerns that, that might come up. One of the things that did come up that I think was a very valid uh, uh, consideration was what the impact would be on transit as transit moves through the so buses moving through the neighborhoods. Uh, what does that do to their schedules and, uh, and their ability to move people around uh, the city on time? All right. Stephen Turner, City Councillor in London, Ontario, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Thank you very much for the time. We appreciate this. Yeah, I really appreciate it as well. Good luck with your discussions.
Manitoba pork producers waking up, I think, with probably pretty real concerns this morning over another ban on Canadian meat. As we've been telling you all morning, the Chinese embassy said yesterday that it was calling on Canada to suspend meat exports to China after customs authorities found examples 188 in all of counterfeit veterinarian health certificates. And that could impact more than one fifth of the pork that Canada sends to China. And who produces a lot of that pork? Well, Manitoba farmers, Saskatchewan farmers, Alberta farmers. Bill Campbell is the president of the Keystone Agriculture Producers and joins us now. Good morning, Bill. Good morning. When you heard this news, what went through your head? Um, well, there was a bit of a lump in my stomach and, a, and a, in my throat and uh, concerned, very concerned. They're talking about the idea that this could be a temporary ban, that this is really about an issue about counterfeit certificates, about a, a banned substance or a banned uh, product being in the meat. And if that's cleared up, maybe this could move on. Do you have a bigger fear that this is really more about the ongoing trade disputes with China when it comes to the Huawei executive and, and that this might not be about pork at all? Well, it's very early to tell what the full impact would be towards Manitoba producers. And we, the egg industry has continually warned government officials and trade officials that this uh, could possibly spread to other commodities. And in the four to five months um, that uh, since uh, the canola ban was issued, we have continually seen that trend. So it's, it's alarming for the agricultural industry to see what has been happening and uh, as far as the politics uh, of the scenario, I think everybody has their own opinion and uh, their own uh, decisions, but it is uh, somewhat apparent that this is very alarming as to what is happening. Bill, and uh, just allow me to be on the other side of this, if if you don't mind. Uh, as we hear this accusations of counterfeit uh health certificates and veterinarian health certificates uh, indicating something that maybe wasn't true. How does something like that happen? Is that a concern for your industry, regardless of, of China's reaction to it? Well, it is, because I think as producers, we have a lot of security and a lot of confidence in our government officials and CFIA. And my understanding is that the accusations are with regards to a drug that is not used in the pork industry. So where these accusations come from and all of, all of those parts is very concerning for me because as a producer, we believe that we are doing the right things for our trade and for our production. And I think everybody needs to be made aware of the significance of these accusations and, and put in perspective that one in eight people in this country are employed through agriculture and agri-food production. 50% of what we produce in this country is exported. So we need to have strong and reliable trade agreements so that we can continue to farm and raise products in this country. So to go through with type of trade accusations is extremely disruptive to the egg industry. 
You put some numbers out there in terms of just, you know, half of the product going overseas or being exported outside of the country. Uh, when it comes to pork, we know that this could impact one fifth of the pork that Canada sends overseas. It's a big number. I think it was $370 million hit to our economy. But putting that into a Manitoba perspective, are, are there farmers out there who this could be a real threat to their, their overall livelihood? And if this isn't fixed soon, might not have a place to, to send their meat? What? Well, it, it's like I mentioned earlier, it's a little early yet to, to get to those type of scenarios. But it it is when you lose the world's largest consumer of pork and we are the third largest supplier to them. It, it is alarming and uh, it can have an impact if we don't have some type of resolution to this thing. The concern that the egg industry has is that our world leaders are playing with agriculture in these trade agreements and and not really addressing the the impact that this is having on the farm gate level. Um, Our partners to the south have announced a $27 billion compensation package to their farmers. Um, Canada has announced an interest-free loan. Now, if we're not making money, an interest-free loan will not salvage this industry industry in canola how are we going to protect the producers so that they are still around when this is resolved and we don't have any clear terms as to when this type of agreement will be resolved Uh, the three leaders that are dealing with, with this particular scenario are not even talking to one another so how can we expect to get any type of um, resolution to these trade uh, agreements. Does your prime minister need to be doing more then, Bill? I mean, is it time for more action and less talk? Oh, oh I think so. If, if he is honest and sincere about protecting agriculture and the jobs and the GDP, I think it's time that he is uh, doing more for uh, this particular issue. I think there needs to be some tough talk and if it is political, then deal with it. But it, it is high time that we have more certainty with regards to our trade negotiations. We want to introduce you to our next guest in a moment about this workshop they're putting on for dads and I think maybe moms too about how to help your do your daughter's hair, your your child's hair. And it prompted us talking this morning about how far dads have come over the years from when I was little and, and the meals my dad used to make. And I said tuna fish on toast with mushroom soup. So I'm going to ask you that question first. We're joined right now by Anna McGregor, who's with MC College, the director of MC College, which does hair, aesthetics, and fashion design in Winnipeg. Before we get to the event that's helping dads with hair, did you ever have a parent make a weird meal for you that was their go-to? <laughs> did it involve mushroom soup? Because I'm learning that that's the key to everything in life today. Big staple, mushroom soup. Mushroom soup. Okay. <laughs> See? That's what I'm talking See, about. It's staple. a staple. It's, it's a staple. like it's get it in the pantry. That's where we're at. Mushroom soup, tuna, mac and cheese. You pretty much conquered the world. (laughs) Okay. But we're talking a bit more about ponios, braids. I don't know. I I had to admit this morning that I'm actually terrible at my own hair. Did you just call it a ponio? Yeah, it used to be called a ponio. Ponio. Like a scrunchie. 
I'm telling you, scrunchies that was a word. Back. A scrunchies are back. It was like, the actual device that you used to hold oh, back your hair. Seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight. If you was ever called, called a, a ponyo, it was. Back up, McNabb, on this. I, you will back me up. Sorry, I can't back you up. Okay. That. Well, Anna, the program in Winnipeg is that's helping to help awkward dads and mom is here tomorrow night. Tell us a bit about what was the impetus behind this. Why do this? Well, we've done it year after year, and it's been a big success. We um, get all the dads coming out to spend time with their daughters. It's like a bonding event for them. Um, Get in touch with doing some hair and learning some tricks, braids, brushing. Um, It's a pretty fun event. We love the dads coming in. Um, the daughters get a good chance to spend some time with them as well. So it's it's just gone over really well. I want to point out a word you said first, which was brushing, because as a kid who grew up with really long hair, waist yeah. long hair, I, my mom actually used to have to pin me down just to <laughs> get the knots out because I was running like a wild child. I mean, just at the very basic level, brushing Not for, fun. for parents can be hard. Is yeah. there something that I'm missing? Like, what's the trick? Well... You know, we're in 2019 and the brushes have come a long way. So we do have some great products that we can uh, show the dads how to use and the moms as well. That was part of the deal. If you wanted your hair long, and I used to wear my hair long, my brother wore his <laughs> hair long. And if you was didn't it brush it long? Longer, I like think. Party in the back? But yeah, yes. Yes, uh, business in the front, party in the back. But there was something called, I remember, No More Tangles mm-hmm. from Johnson & Johnson. I don't know if they've taken that stuff off the shelf. Maybe it contained all sorts of things we didn't want to be spraying anywhere near our kids' faces. There was Novocaine faces. in that product. Oh, excellent. Uh, no wonder I liked yeah. it so much. But the point <laughs> is that that <laughs> was part of the deal, was if you wanted to have longer hair, you had to keep it up. Is that still part of the process and part of the discussion with little boys and little girls is, hey, uh, you've got to do the maintenance. Well, you know, I have a daughter myself and she's got super long hair. And I think as long as you show them how to use the proper products, how to properly brush their hair, wash their hair, and, you know, dads can get involved with that and do that as well. So it's definitely come a long way. One of our colleagues who shall remain unnamed, but Greg, you might remember one of our colleagues used to say, hey, take care of your hair. Your hair will take care of you. (laughs) Uh, Now, the hashtag on the website, Hair Game Strong, is that something that you associate specifically with dads, or are you trying to invite dads into this conversation? We definitely want dads to be a part of the hair game and spend some time with their daughters. Um, I think it's an easy thing for them to do. It's something for them to get involved with, have some quality time, and maybe, you know, impress some girls out there. I'm not going to suggest that there were dads 30 years ago that weren't doing their daughter's hair, because for sure there were. But I do think we've come on... We've evolved a lot where it's really part of the whole uh, daddy. You mentioned spending time with their daughters, the daddy daughter time or or father daughter time. And the idea that you can have it's more than just doing their hair in the morning. It really is about that maybe quiet, reflective time where you can have that quick conversation with your child about what might be coming up or how their day might have gone and all the rest. So it's really more when you said bonding, that's probably bigger than it is learning how to do a French braid. Yeah. Last year, there were so many dads that came in and they had the best time with their daughters. You could just see all the little girls with big smiles on their faces, just feeling really good about the night and spending that time with their dads. Well, any then, single? Sorry, Greg. Uh, <laughs> any single dads? For sure. Well, welcome everyone, but right? Did you have any single yeah, dads coming yeah, last year? Yeah, I, I can remember a couple for sure. Uh, that's exactly what I was thinking, just the proliferation, unfortunately, of divorce and, and uh, changing structure of families. Things are not the normal nuclear family that we had once upon a time. Right. So it means increased responsibilities for dads when it comes to their daughter's hair at time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, what, more dads involved. What's one of the worst? 
times you've seen someone walk in with like what seems to be the hardest oh, hairstyle boy. that nobody can get 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 figured out? Well, we just try to politely uh, talk mom's dads out of those wonderful mullets that are starting to make a comeback. Right? No, no, yeah. that mullet I, is I not coming again. back. Oh, yeah. Not it. <laughs> oh, my God. Sorry, I, I am aghast. How do you right how do you talk someone out about that? That's a that's a big one. Like if some if a kid a wants it and the parent wants it. And even though we can look back on countless pictures of mullets and say nobody wants it. How do you tell someone that it's a bad idea? Suggestions, you know, that this could be a better hairstyle for you and show them a picture of something different, something a little bit more flattering for them. At the end of the day, are there still just some people, and I really think I'm in this category, that are just never going to be, you know, a simple ponytail might be as good as it gets for me. I think so hard on yourself. No. (laughs) I think we all have have potential. Have you ever seen me come into work with a different hairstyle? No, I can't do it. I think we all have potential. You should come down and spend the night with us. We'll show you some some cool just, braids. Instead of bringing my kid, I'll just bring myself. <laughs> so two things. You've been vindicated, Loren. Kathy sent us a picture on text at 780-6868 of the pony. Thank you, o. Kathy. So that's something that did exist. It's sort of like a, crunch, a scrunchy, combination scrunchy. Stylish very, scrunchy. Mm, very wide <laughs> elastic band with a, some sort of henna tattoo design sort of thing on it. So you're vindicated there. And uh, my boys are, they, they're not doing the mullet thing. They're doing the short on the one side and then the very long mm-hmm. across the, right. the, the, the hair. How often should my kids be washing their hair? Is twice a day too much? Way too much. <laughs> I, I, I would like them to wash it twice a day because the it, product. Looks, it looks terrible. But it, it is every other day enough? Or? Every other day, I would suggest for sure. For guys, it's a little bit different, especially if they're playing sports on a daily basis. That uh, changes everything in your chemistry. So once a day, if you're at the gym. Okay, so I need two things uh, to uh, to bribe them with. And the first thing is that whole thing, uh, the idea that your hair grows faster if you get it cut more often. Myth or fact? I'm going to say myth. Oh, really? So that's out the window. But it, uh, uh, cut hair, kept hair is, is healthier, whether it grows faster sure, or not. For sure. Cutting off those split ends prevents hair from breaking. Which then looks frizzy. Right. And dry. You can't have And gross. Okay, so the event's tomorrow night at MC College. It's a drop-in session for parents to help learn how to do the tricks of the hair trade, so to speak. Uh, Give me your address and what time can they show up? We're at 575 Wall Street, uh, anytime between 5 and 8, and we're also giving away $1,000 scholarships to any one of our programs. Wow, that's great. So again, this is a free event. It is the DIY studio, My Dad Did My Hair at MC College. Anna McGregor, director of MC College, thank you very much for joining us today. We appreciate this. Thanks for having me. Mackling, McGarry, McNabb stepped out, but in her place we have one KK, Kathy Kennedy, for a very special guest who is going to be speaking later today at TEDx here in Winnipeg. We gave away tickets for this all of last week. Alan Cross, the host of the ongoing history of new music, his website, a journal of musicalthings.com. He is a musicologist, a self described professional music geek, live in studio. <laughs> That's the only way I've ever been able to describe myself. Well, that's a modest way of doing it, so we thank you very much. And you had a kind of in theme with what we've been talking about today with our recipes. Uh, McNabb revealed this morning that her dad's go-to food that he would make is tuna, fish, 
with mushroom soup can on ask, toast in a frying pan. Can I ask why we have to have that redundant fish at the end of tuna fish? I don't know. I I'm, just I threw it in there because things that make you go. Hmm. Yeah, I think I say it because I used to watch The Office, and uh, one of the characters always used. To, I think he, he, the nickname was Tuna Fish, wasn't it? It started as tuna, and then it just became tuna. 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 But you're right. It's, it's just a tuna. It's from the redundancy department of redundancy. redundancy. Yes. So you're going to be talking about uh, you before that. What, would, what did you have for breakfast today, Alan? Cross? I had some Winnipeg rye bread and cheese whiz. On toast. On toast. Yeah. Beautiful. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. That's great. Listen, when I come back, I got here yesterday. Where's the first place I ate? Salisbury House. Good really? Man. Oh, yeah. You are a true pegger. Oh, well, like listen. Now, I know you were born in Stonewall. Your mom lives in Stonewall Mom and dad, yeah, I'm still there. Beautiful. Yeah. Fantastic. But uh, this, is, this, is, this is still home? Do we do that? Oh, yeah. I come four or five times a year. Yeah. Good. Love to, it. To visit everybody. And I always manage to find time for bridge drive-in in the summertime. And you, you brave the lineup. You stand I do the line. brave the lineup because uh, even though I have become lactose intolerant in my old uh, aged years, I still will go for something there, and I will uh, always go to Salisbury House. Got a boy. So you're talking about today at TEDx why Spotify is killing music. Yeah, there is something that's going on with streaming music these days that is affecting the way that we both consume music and the way music is composed and distributed. And it worries me. Why? Well, okay. Let's start. Let's start by saying that in the old days when you bought pieces of plastic, you made sure that you listened to the record of the CD over and over and over again so that you tried at least to like every song on the album. Because if you didn't like every song or didn't at least tolerate every song, there was that sense that you had wasted your money. And we had a financial relationship with the artist. We put money into their pocket. Therefore, we had some sort of stake in their career. Um, the other thing is that with physical copies, we had additional resources. We had the uh, artwork. We had the liner notes. We had the lyrics. We had you know whatever else came with it. Uh, with streaming, though, it is in one year and out the other. Now, streaming is very, very convenient, and I use it all the time, and I understand why people love Spotify and Apple Music and Deezer and Tidal and all the rest of it. But the problem is that there is no context to any of the music that you listen to when you are listening to a stream. It's uh, nothing but organized noise. There's nobody on the radio. There's nobody there to take you by the hand and say, this song is important. This artist is important. This album is important. This sound is important. This scene is important. It's just either you like it or you don't. It's a very binary thing. Which brings me to something called skip rates. Spotify has a big company called the Echo Nest behind them, and they're always gathering data. And they have told us that the average person will skip a song on Spotify uh, almost immediately. The first, uh, about 24% of people will skip a song in the first five seconds. 29% will skip a song in the first 10 seconds. And 35% will skip a song before 30 seconds is up. Wow. This is all really important because uh, you do not get paid as an artist until the song, until the stream runs for at least 30 seconds. So as a result, artists and producers and labels are all concerned about grabbing our attention for at least 31 seconds oh so everybody gets paid. That's changing the nature of songwriting. So intro times and songs are shorter. The chorus is often upfront. There's often many, many hooks in that first 30 seconds to 
satiate our short attention spans, anything to get us to 30 seconds. The other thing that's happening is that songs are getting shorter because what's the point of writing a song longer than 30 seconds if you're going to get paid the same for a 31-second song as you would for a 10-minute song? If you look at the Billboard Top 100, back in 2000, uh, there were, I can't remember what the percentage is, but the average length of a song in the top 200 was, um, top 100 was four minutes. There were no songs under two minutes and 30 seconds. Now, uh, the average length is three minutes and 30 seconds, and the number of songs under two and a half minutes has increased by 6% just over the last three years. What's the biggest song in the world right now? Little Nas X and Old Town Road. How long is that song? Minute 57. It is and, and it's been number one for what, 12 weeks? Something like that. It's under two minutes. Yes. And, that shocks me. And what what a lot of people, so a lot of people think, well, why should I write a song longer than, what, short songs get cycled through streaming a lot faster. So you get paid a lot more. So compared, uh, there's a band called the Pocket Gods who released an album earlier this year called 300 by 30. 298 songs, nothing longer than 45 seconds. Wow. And the idea is that every time they hit the 30-second mark as somebody is going through this six-hour album, they get paid. Now, compare that to a classic rock band that may have 10-minute epics. So think it takes 50, you know, let's say there's five songs in an album, over 50 minutes, they will make the uh, revenue from five streams. Over 50 minutes for Pocket Gods, they will make, uh, what, 100 stream payouts in the same time that the classic rock band did. See what I'm saying? It's it's interesting because in the last couple of weeks, uh, I've had on Glass Tiger, Darby Mills, Streetheart, mm. and they have all lamented the fact that, yes, with the advent of this wonderful technology, their music is much more readily available. However, in order to make a living, they have to hit the road. I had a conversation with David Crosby of Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young sometimes uh, on Saturday night. He's 77. He's touring. You know why? Can't pay the mortgage. Yeah. He has, he wasted a lot of money back in the day. But when you were uh, a member of a band like that or the Eagles or Fleetwood Mac or the Who or whatever, you could go to the mailbox reliably every six months and find a big royalty check because people were buying your albums year after year after year. The Doors broke up in 1973. And every year after that, they sold a million copies of every single Doors record. The Beastie Boys sold 2 million copies of License to Ill every single year after 1987. That's not happening now. So if you want to maintain that revenue stream, the only way that you can possibly do that is by hitting the road, which explains why Elton John is on the road and Cher is on the road and Fleetwood Mac and, you know, you name it. Was this a result of the record industry not coming around to new technology quickly enough, Alan? The record industry is concerned about the record industry. What they wanted to do is save themselves. They had been selling pieces of plastic to the public for more than 100 years. They didn't like the idea of moving away from that because that was such a high-margin business. But they eventually reconciled themselves to the fact that the streaming is too big to fail. As a matter of fact, somewhere between 55 and 60% of all streaming or of all revenues for a record label comes from streaming. And what a lot of people don't realize is that many of those streaming companies have equity investments in them by record labels. So it's in their best interest to um, keep them under their thumb uh, and so they don't lose control of music distribution like they did with uh, iTunes back in 2003. 
Greg, we got a great text message from one of our listeners. And I'm going to read it word for word here. Would artists agree to have their music available on Spotify's po- platform if they weren't benefiting from it? Our young artists like Ariana Grande, who is on all platforms worth 50 plus million dollars, or does Spotify only benefit established and successful artists? Let's take that one at a time. Would artists agree to have their music available on Spotify's platform if they weren't benefiting from it? Uh, the answer is that's they're not benefiting from it, most of them, but you have to be on streaming services because if you aren't, you don't exist to a very large number of music fans. You have to play in that sandbox. That's where everybody is going now, and that's where you need to be. Young artists like Ariana Grande are streaming stars. There is a thin layer of artists who have managed to create a very nice career for themselves. And we can talk about Ariana Grande. We can talk about Drake. We can talk about The Weeknd. We can talk about Justin Bieber. They have all flourished in the era of streaming. I think the most streamed guy in the universe is Drake, 23 billion streams. He's followed by Ed Sheeran. And uh, then after that, we get down to, it might be Nicki Minaj or Cardi B or something like that. Uh, These are pop stars, and pop stars are the ones, pop, R&B, rap, and hip-hop are the ones that are benefiting the most. Uh, And these artists are, uh, they're streaming by the hundreds of millions. If you have a million streams, that's nothing. That's the the new metric is a million streams sounds like a lot, but not in the world of of online music. Um, And these artists are parlaying their streaming success into playing live and charging a lot of money, and they're making money that way. And that ties into the whole conversation, Kathy, with regard to buying the album 20 years ago and the relationship that we had that you referred to, Alan, this whole idea of, well, now I've got all my albums that are literally in a Rubbermaid container for safe storage in my basement. I carry them in my pocket with me now. And you said something very interesting, Alan, about my my right to do that guilt-free, to stream those songs from the albums that I've purchased. Right. Or did, did I misinterpret no. your, your statement there? No. Here's what you did when you bought the album. You bought the privilege of being able to listen to that album an unlimited number of times for as long as you were alive. That's why the album cost 10 bucks or 12 bucks or 15 bucks or whatever it was. With a stream, you are buying the right to listen to it once. So the idea of equating a stream with a sale is a non-starter. A stream is more equivalent to hearing a song on the radio, except that the stream is on demand. And oddly enough, an artist will get about the same from, from, a, from a radio play as they would for a single stream. I'm wondering, though, regarding formats, uh, you know, you look at those who are most streamed, and you mentioned... A lot of pop artists. What has this done, let's say, to the format of rock and roll? It hasn't done anything yet, at least not in Canada. Rock is still the number one format genre by any metric that you care to mention. We are very much a rock country still. In the United States, it's hip-hop and R&B. That's what's driving the culture there. Uh, Not a lot of rock fans have adopted streaming when you compare them to hip-hop, R&B, and pop fans. We we just we we're sticking to our CDs. We're sticking to our vinyl records. As a matter of fact, rock is the biggest genre when it comes to vinyl worldwide. Mm-hmm. So we, as rock fans, and I'm assuming that we're rock fans here, are tied to our pieces of plastic. We're getting into streaming slowly, 
but not at the same rate as we are uh, young people. Uh, and for them, the major music is hip-hop, R&B, and rap. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.